This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your other co-host that's going to try not to laugh uncontrollably, Javi. <laughs> Let me get a little closer. Sorry. It may sound like we're a little bit further away from the mic today as we're trying a new setup. Um, normally, we're, our studio is being occupied by a tiny human. <laughs> so for a little peek behind the curtain, our normal studio that we record inside of is actually my daughter's bedroom. And at this moment, my daughter is actually sleeping. So she threw us out of our studio. Yeah, pretty much. So all our, fa- or what's it called? All our Instagram posts are all carefully angled to so never show Angel's daughter's like stuff in the background. But uh, yeah, so it might sound a little bit more echoey. The acoustics of the living room are a little bit different. But yeah, this is our uh, this is our de facto studio until we get our old studio back. Um, I've also been kind of fighting off some sort of strange cold so i will hopefully my voice doesn't sound too awful while we're recording this yeah so sorry for the delayed release of the halloween 2018 episode uh angel and i have just been swamped this past week we both we finally got to watch it a uh, funny story like we actually already recorded the episode but angel and i like we recorded about a good 80 minutes yeah like we put we had about 80 almost 90 minutes of content and angel and i were like that was just bad like it was just really weird so this uh i mean this is kind of like a little like angel said peek behind the curtain but if you guys ever take on projects like that something we've learned is yeah you, it's okay to fuck up an episode and <laughs> just got to go back and do it again so this is our uh, technically round two of Halloween 2018, our yep. second gig for my uh, Ghost in the Shell fans. And it's a sequel to our pilot episode of the show. Yeah. So, I can't wait. <laughs> so Halloween 2018, I first heard about this project, uh, I think back in 2015, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was having lunch at work, and then I got an alert on my phone from some you know, movie website where they had talked about how Dimension Films was going to create a brand new Halloween movie and how they were considering what they called it, so I'll put it in air quotes, uh, a recalibration of the Halloween franchise. Um, so what's a recalibration supposed to be? I have no idea. I never heard that term before then, right? And, yeah. and I think part of the reason why they needed to take it in a different direction or felt they needed to take it in a different direction was because of the shit show that uh, the second Rob Zombie Halloween movie was. Uh, the movies we did not discuss in our pilot episode are the Rob Zombie Halloween movies, which you know we would like to dedicate a bonus episode or a short little mini-sode to at some point. Uh, to just kind of go over them. Uh, they are pretty good. I like them, you know, to the point that, you know, when the year that Halloween 2007 came out and up until like the early 2010s, 
I thought, you know, Rob Zombie's Halloween, even for a short, brief period, may have been better than the original John Carpenter Halloween. Remember, that's canon. Angel likes Rob Zombie more than John Carpenter. <laughs> he, has, he has trash taste in movies. But I have gone back and revisited those movies, and, you know, as I said in the first episode, I apologize for my grave mistake that I made. Um, yeah, those movies were trash. <laughs> and it, it sucks, because I think we did a really good, we had a really good conversation about why we hate those movies now, like, in that episode that's never going to see the light of... Uh, well, to be honest, we can actually release the thoughts that we had on those movies as a mini-episode themselves. They could, yeah. So I, mean, I, think, I think I may end up doing that. Um, you know, the second Rob Zombie Halloween movie was a pretty big disaster, um, and... Rob Zombie obviously was never going to come back. Uh, that movie did not leave any room for any kind of sequel just because of the way it ended, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it ends with uh, Michael Myers, Laurie Strode, and Dr. Loomis in a cabin out in the middle of the countryside where all of them are dead somehow <laughs> at yeah. the end of it. And, uh, so, I'm assuming it was like a Mexican standoff and everyone shot each other. It was pretty much like the ending was pretty much Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Well, funny enough... For a while, uh, they did want to uh, create a direct sequel to those movies. Yikes. And uh, they first announced, I think the year after the second Rob Zombie movie, they announced a Halloween 3D project. Yeah! <laughs> which, <laughs> which never ended up getting off the ground. They actually like picked uh, a pair of French directors that they wanted to um, put it together. I forget what their names are, but they did some sort of independent horror movie. Uh, it was a foreign horror movie called uh, Inside. Which I, I guess is some it. sort of home invasion movie or something like that. Mm. I'd never seen it. Um, Sounds. But they were considered to be like kind of like hot directors, and they were working on the project for a while, but uh, it didn't really work out. They also had Patrick Lucier on it for a while, who did My Bloody Valentine in 3D. Oh yeah. yeah but yeah, he yeah, actually yeah. ended up uh, dropping out of Halloween 3 3D to work on the movie Drive Angry. Which oh, has that Nicolas Nick Cage, Cage movie? Yep. Yeah, that so. one was trash. I loved it. <laughs> I loved how garbage that movie was. But so, so yeah, so years go by and then oh, nothing God. really happens with it. Um, Dimension talks about this one project and they did commission a script for it. Um, and I will get into a little bit of what the details of the script were uh, once that fell through and that project died. There was a uh, rumor going around that Halloween may have even gone the route of Hellraiser and Children of the Corn, meaning Dimension Films was going to do a direct-to-video property with it, oh, yeah, yeah, where yeah. they would have shot it for uh, like under 100 Like They would have shot, shot it for really cheap in Serbia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But thankfully, you know, and then, of course, like without, like, it goes without saying that there's been a lot of weird shit that's happened with the Weinstein company and, yeah. you know, Miramax and stuff like that. And so wait, Halloween 3D made it all the way to the point where there was a screenplay written of it? Halloween Returns, which was the 2015 project that was announced. So Halloween oh, okay. 3D died first. And then, <laughs> and then from its stupid, like, rotting corpse, someone cannibalized it and turned it into Halloween Returns. Exactly. Now... Why 3D for Halloween? I can, like, what about Michael Myers, like, makes people think he lends himself to the 3D format? Well, 2009 was the year of the My Bloody Valentine 3D movie, which I actually do own. And yeah, because it was good. <laughs> I mean, it was Don't cool. remember we watched it in your living room? Like, yeah. we even had 3D glasses. <laughs> yeah. 
But, you know, 3D was super hot at that time because the Avatar movie came out. And with the exception of Avatar, no other movie captures 3D to such a great degree after that. Like, I mean, I'm glad the 3D fad has died a a bit at this point. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal anymore. Because it was, you know, like it was the original, the originator with Avatar and then nothing else was ever that good again. So Halloween Returns, which is that 2015 project that never really saw the light of day. is a movie that's a direct sequel to the original John Carpenter movie. So by this point, they had given up and they said, look, we're not going to go to the, you know, we're not going to go where we were looking at before, meaning like following the Rob Zombie one, and we're not going to follow any of the other sequels. So it was the first time that they were just like, we're just going to directly do a sequel to John Carpenter's original movie. Um, and the story of this one actually wasn't going to have really any characters from any previous Halloween movie ever, mm-hmm. um, except for some reason the sheriff's name is pretty familiar to the sher- to the deputy in uh, Halloween 2, the 1981 movie. Mm-hmm. And um, in this movie, in this script as well, Michael had a brand new doctor named Doctor Rogers, um, who basically <laughs> fills in the role of Doctor Loomis. Dr. Loomis isn't, you know, he's not referenced at all in this script, by the way, mm-hmm. um, like in the story so far. Uh, so this story picks up the night that Michael Myers, uh, you know, that first night from Halloween 1 where Michael is, uh, you know, falls down the balcony and uh, I guess Loomis goes to look for him. Um, the idea of this is that Michael goes on a rampage and uh, one of the people that he kills is... Uh, I, I I haven't read the script in a while, so I can't mm-hmm. give you all the story details. But I'm pretty sure that he kills someone who's directly related to one of the characters in the in in the story later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's arrested by this uh, deputy who later becomes like the sheriff. So, um, but the entire story doesn't take place in Haddonfield. It takes place in a nearby town called Russellville, which is referenced in John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, the the gravedigger who's like walking with Dr. Loomis over to the tombstone of Michael's sister. Mm-hmm. He references a town called Russellville as where some other atrocity happened before. Um, so it takes place in some weird universe. Um, mm-hmm. do you, if it's still a sequel to 1978, but whereas it should only be like 10 years, meaning it would be somewhere in the late eighties, mm-hmm. it still feels like modern times and like it, it just the timeline is so nebulous that it doesn't really make any sense because it's supposed to take place now, yeah, or as close to now as it can, yeah. But for some reason, everything feels like it's in the eighties. No, it doesn't feel like it's in the eighties. It's supposed to take or place. It's supposed to be in the eighties. No, it's supposed to. T- yeah, it's supposed to take place in the eighties, but everything feels weirdly modern. So it's like it's a movie that doesn't really pay attention to its own timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, after Michael is arrested, he is taken to death row, and there's some grand sequence of him where they're like about to kill him. I don't know if it's lethal injection or the chair, one of the two. But Michael somehow, in the middle of his where they're supposed to be executing him, ends up like murdering everyone in the room and leaves and escapes as he as he's known to do. <laughs> Man. 
Too bad they didn't bring back the cowboy from Halloween 5 to just yeah, give a machine gun everybody down. And then better yet, you bring in Terminator and the machine gun <laughs> guy. And then it's like super... Now you got Halloween cross Terminator. Boom. Make it. <laughs> Million dollar franchise. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So that movie ends up, you know, uh, dying. Like it, it, the project is dead at some point. And then Blumhouse comes and buys the property. So, for those of you that don't know Blumhouse or aren't familiar with them, they're kind of like an up-and-coming production studio. I think everybody knows Blumhouse by now. Surprisingly, I don't know, dude. Like, they're not really that... I don't think they've hit the mainstream, but I think... Oh, yeah, they have. I think it's one of those production companies that hella people... It's the James Wan movies. Um, uh, They've had a lot to do with... The the Purge is probably the most popular one. Yeah, we know that, though, because we watch movies. I'm talking about your, like... Get Out. Get Out has been their 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 breakthrough right now. Yeah, but your casual moviegoers don't really give, give a shit about production companies, you know? Like, but like they wouldn't know that, like, I, I can think of at least five people that wouldn't know Conjuring and Get Out were made by the same company. That's true. You know what I'm saying? Like, Well, not the same company, but, but in the same studio, from the same studio. And what's really cool about this studio is that they're able to, they're kind of bringing back... <clears throat> Uh, the fun of like practical special effects, a lot more like the narratives. Uh, not like they they're mixing in a lot of like great writing along with I mean, some pretty gruesome violence. And they're one. and they're and they're giving directors creative freedom yeah. in horror movies, which, and that's like, the fun of it. Yeah, like I mean, before you would have seen Get Out, like no one thought that Jordan Peele was capable of something like that, right? Yeah, and um, and obviously, like he won the Academy Award for it, which. By the way, like you know, have you if you if you've seen the trailer for that new Jordan Peele movie that's going to come out us this year? I think it's going to come out in two months. I yeah. cannot wait to see that movie, and I would love to review it because I think he is uh, he is one of the the best like filmmakers in horror right now. He's in his mark, yeah. yeah so, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, so yeah, Halloween finds its home at Blumhouse, uh, and here we go. They uh, you know end up linking up with. Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, which, you know... Of all people. <laughs> two guys, which, you know, two guys have collaborated on a project before, mm-hmm. not as writer and director, but as, you know, director and actor, I think, right? Isn't David Gordon Green Pineapple Express? I believe so. Yeah, so <clears throat> it's... I might have to Google that to no. confirm, but, I mean, they're continuing this this tradition of just, like, funny guys being able to write amazing horror stories. Exactly. Yeah. It's absolutely, absolutely connected to the Jordan Peele thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's just... And, and Danny McBride also was in uh, Alien Covenant last year, which... I haven't seen it, but didn't hear ago. good things. It's actually really good. Really? Well, to me, like I mean, it was better than Prometheus, at least. <laughs> it's still it's it's not my Neil Blomkamp uh, yeah. Alien sequel, which I am really bummed that we never got. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that. Nah, I did hear about yeah. that. Was, that's what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be like an alternate version of Alien Three, oh, which okay. would have been awesome, and that he apparently had been working on ever since he finished District Nine. So it's, I really like, it, it It bums me out that that project will never see the light of day. Oh, yeah. Because originally they, like, they, he had created a buzz around it, but then immediately after that, that's when Ridley Scott kind of came and squashed it with a Prometheus sequel that ended up being an alien movie. Ridley Scott's, shut <laughs> up, nerds, I got this. And then it's like, no, you don't. You did not have this. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, uh, David Gordon Green, I think like the project of his that I've watched most recently that I'm just in love with is uh, Red Oaks. <clears throat> it was a series on Amazon that went for three seasons, and I think this past year was the last season of that show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really cool. It's about a you know twenty late twenty something year old kid who lives, <clears throat> I guess, in a little outside of New York, around in New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, with <clears throat> with his parents, and he's working for a summer at a country club, trying to figure out what's going on with his life. Mm-hmm. And he actually, while he's working at this country club, he wants to be a film director. You know, in the film, and it's, the main character's name is David, and the actor, like you know, I forget what the actor's name is. I can look it up. But man, he's really just punching you in the face with that. This is his life, isn't it? Well, you know, it's. I really love the show, and I'm. It's one of those things that I'm, you know, definitely inspired from his own life, right? And, and I, w- what I do like about Red Oaks is it does play a lot of those '80s tropes too. That, yeah, that we've come to yeah. love, which is which is what I liked. So when I first heard that these guys were coming on to Halloween, I thought they were going to do that that script. That so I was like, okay, cool. It's going to be a direct sequel to Halloween. It could take place in the '80s. Yeah, and these are the guys who have that sensibility to do it. Yeah, they can pull I it off. <clears throat> I didn't find out till later that it was going to be a 2018, like legit. Yeah, that yeah. it was going to take place the year that it was coming out. But you know, my excitement level was high because I just knew that these guys could pull it off. Craig Roberts is the main character from played the main character David in mm-hmm. Red Oaks. And to answer what you said earlier, yes, David uh, David Green was wait, what's his full name? David Gordon Green. Yeah, DGG. 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 But yeah, DGG is uh, he was a director of Pineapple Express. Nice. And you know what's funny is Pineapple Express is a lot <clears> like <throat> Red Oaks in that sense that it like it kind of feels timeless. You know, because it's like Pineapple Express takes place in this weird time where it's like you're so connected to the past, but it can totally be taking place like six years from now. It can be taking place 16 years ago. You know, you know? another movie does that? Another comedy? Superbad does that. Superbad's like that. It's, yeah. very, it's a very nebulous time, even though like you're, obviously it has to be in, 20, in yeah. 2007 because people had like cell phones and stuff like that. But it's just like from the music to... The Wait, did you say 2007? <laughs> yeah. Who talks like that? You know what? I, I have a habit of doing that. I'll either that's say so weird. I'll either say 2005 or 2005. Nah, that's, that's how I talk. That's the first time I've ever heard you say that. That's why it bothers me. But yeah, I'm sorry. That shouldn't have stepped all over nah, you. fuck you. It's over. <laughs> but you're right. This does... episode's over. <laughs> this fucking podcast is over. I'm leaving. Shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> fucking John Taffer it. Um... <laughs> Though, so uh, the other thing that uh, that David Gordon Green is working on now, now that he's done with Halloween, I don't know if you've heard about this. The look. No, I know. I, I, mean, yeah, I haven't. Heard the of look it. on your face says that you have not. I haven't heard of much. There's a Friday Night Lights reboot that's going to be coming out. Uh, David Gordon Green. The is show or the movie? I have no idea. It's I, it's going to be a film. Oh, Texas Forever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a feeling that it's just going to be like. A, a different school and a different set of kids, and they're just calling it Friday Night Lights for the sake of branding. Can they just bring back Coach Taylor and make everything else different? Nah, Coach Taylor's busy fighting Godzilla this year. Oh yeah, that is what he's doing. <laughs> uh. But before we get too off topic, uh, you know, here we are, Halloween 2018. Yeah. Um, this movie is aw- like the the excitement for me leading up to it was about as high as it is when i watched jurassic world or one of the new star wars movies like this Mm -hmm. is 
obviously this is my series and the fact that like we had a brand new uh, you know installment of it was something I didn't I wasn't sure we'd ever see especially after the Rob Zombie shit that happened like I just didn't think there was anything else left to tell so mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was a little hesitant when the news started coming out because they started talking about how you know it's going to be about Jamie Lee Curtis again and how she was going to face Michael and and you're like what <laughs> Why? Yeah, and I was like, wait, I was like, I've seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. I was like, Halloween H2O, and and uh, you know, I, I rewatched H2O, and for all the great things that it does, <clears throat> because it does have maybe my my favorite moment of the series, and unfortunately, you know, there's just no like, even if they tried to do a moment exactly like this in the new movie, it just wouldn't work the same way. Mm-hmm. But there's a moment in Halloween H2O <clears throat> where Lori is in the school, uh, in her like the school that she's the headmistress of. Uh, she closes the gate, the, this electronic gate. She destroys it so that no one else can get through it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then she grabs a fire axe and starts running through the, you know, through the school yelling Michael really loud mm-hmm. as, like, the orchestral Halloween theme mm-hmm. plays in the background. And that's just, yeah. like, it's the most epic moment. And it's probably, like, it's it's Jamie Lee Curtis's Ripley moment. And, mm-hmm. and Yeah. I, and I just yeah. don't feel that they recapture it here. I do. I will say that there's just one moment in here that is actually not from her. Yeah, that, that her it, Ripley moment. Yeah, Judy Greens. Just, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's it's you know I was like I'll give it a chance. You know it's it's whatever. It's it was a little weird to think about Michael Myers being sixty years old now because mm-hmm. in the original one he's twenty one. Um, so this has been a long time, and you're talking about an old man, Michael Myers. How scary can he really be? Turns out very, very <laughs> yeah. scary. Who knew that some there were some 60-year-olds with superhuman strength? <laughs> Apparently when you have no capability of human emotion, it gives you, you know, stupid superpowers. I remember you told me that this was going to be a direct sequel to Halloween 1, which means that there was a huge possibility that they were abandoning the entire brother-sister arc. And for your casual fan or someone that's barely getting into the Halloween series, you know, that's kind of okay. But for your fans that were a huge fan of like Halloween 2 or Halloween H2O, you're like, what? You know, it kind of eliminates something that was that kind of became very much a part of the mythology. And something that is kind of hard, or at least for me, it was hard to let go of that. Because I felt like it was a very like it was a tie tie into his origin story, but I think that I was very okay with letting that go with how well in the direction of the movie and the direction that they wanted to go between that dynamic of Michael Myers and um, and Laurie Strode in this movie that I was totally okay with letting go of that that motivation and because I think what they captured better is that now. The, the the scary thing of Michael Myers, Michael Myers in this movie is that he has no motivation. Oh yeah, he's random. He's totally random, and, and he's and just a for like he at this point he's just like a physical force, and he's just everyone's catching hands. Which is John Carpenter's original plan, right? Like mm-hmm. when he first created the character, like his that's why he called it the shape. Which mm-hmm. Laurie Strode actually directly references, which is the first time in any Halloween movie that they refer to him as the shape. In this movie? Yep. 
Really? Every other every other film they could credit him as a shape in the credits, but that was more of a behind the scenes thing. Yeah, he's never referred to that in in anything other than that. Oh, Which really? It's good that they go back to that because you know this Michael does seem cold, distant, and and <laughs> I think one of the things that you discover really quickly is that with all the people, um, you know, who are in this movie, they're all coming to it late. Yeah, like and and many of them have not seen the destruction that Michael Myers caused that night. Um, one of the characters calls it out in this movie, mm-hmm. but in terms of how relative, like you know, it's it's a relatively small in air quotes body count mm-hmm. compared to something that would make news today, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, we now live in a world where you know a kid can a kid with an assault rifle can go into you know any public place and wipe out you know a giant chunk of population in one moment right mm-hmm. uh, so this is this is the kind of thing that maybe it makes the news maybe it doesn't maybe you read about it on twitter like in a blurb or something like that mm-hmm. uh, it may have been sensationalized in earlier generations but now we're looking at a time where people are very far beyond that mm-hmm. and the only person who still seems to be stuck in the memory of that one night is uh Laurie strode yeah played by the returning jamie lee curtis and mm-hmm. uh when jamie lee decided that she was coming back um I was pretty excited about it only because, okay, so during the 90s and in the 80s, when she left Halloween, you know, after she left the Halloween franchise, Jamie Lee Curtis kind of took on this attitude where she was too big for slasher movies or horror movies anymore, mm-hmm. right? Like, she had gone legit now, and she was making... Real know, movies. Yeah. Serious movies. Yeah, she was yeah. making Total Recall with mm-hmm. Arnie. And, That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was in, you know, just... Trading True Lies, places, also True with Lies. Arnie. <laughs> You know, she she had made it in Hollywood now um, and crossed over, which not a lot of people who start in horror movies do, right? Yeah. I mean, there's those few exceptions. There's her, and then there's also the famous Kevin Bacon being in Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. So, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, Johnny in, Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street. So, yeah. You know, so there is always someone who jumps out of the cast and, mm-hmm. and becomes a known actor from it. Um so she she kind of like distanced herself from Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I noticed that I discovered was okay. So when I think about five years ago, um, I used to work. I had taken on some contract IT work, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, I was working uh, at Oakland Children's Hospital. Oh, that doing, so creepy. Doing grave night, doing graveyard shifts. Yeah. So, uh, that was fun. There's <laughs> um, part. It's funny too that we're talking about Halloween because there's parts of that hospital that totally remind you of the hospital from Halloween too. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what I the point of all of that was is that you know uh, because I didn't really get a lot of users calling me at night because it's a very minimal staff that yeah. does overnights. Um, you know, my boss told me, hey, you know, you can bring your computer, you can bring your tablet, and uh, you can watch movies. Mm-hmm. You know, like, just pass the time somehow, right? Like, I was only on a two-week contract. I wasn't really going to work here long. So I basically got paid to watch movies a lot of the time that I was mm-hmm. there. Um, and at that time, the Halloween 35th anniversary, uh, or 25th anniversary, one of the two, yeah. uh, a, a anniversary edition Blu-ray came out, and it featured uh, a director's commentary with John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis was on mm-hmm. it as well. And um, 
there was also a little mini documentary on there of Jamie Lee Curtis coming back to Halloween and how she was now doing conventions and talking and stuff like that. And that's when I really kind of discovered that she's made her way back to Halloween now. So, so where she's not like embarrassed about it yeah. and it's not a dirty secret. It's like something that she's, you know, what I like. It's not like she made like she was in a weird like skin flick or something like that. Like, well, I, I, I like I kind of liken it to, and we're both wrestling fans, right? Very much so. I, I, I liken it to The Rock coming back to wrestling after a lot of years where yeah. he kind of like stepped out of the spotlight. Like that's where I feel Jamie is at now. Where like now she's become such a big star and such mm-hmm. a Hollywood icon that she can come back and do these movies now. And, um, you know, in a lot of interviews where she always talked about, she said, look, she's like, she's like, I can make, you know, any kind of Academy Award winning movie ever. And, um, and no matter what happens the day I pass away, everyone's going to say the star of Halloween. So, yeah. know, the star of Halloween is everyone's what, gonna what everyone's going to remember. Before. Everyone's going to remember her for that. Um, she's also an activist, right? So mm-hmm. um, one of the things that she liked about the script and why she wanted to come back was because... You know, she saw a lot of this as something you could tie to the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. I'm a little skeptical about that because, you know, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, Me Too being co-opted by other groups. You know, mm-hmm. like, 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 like there's a lot of weird stuff with feminism and intersectionality that, that Me Too, like... That people that white celebrities who co-opt Me Too movement, mm-hmm. you know, that they don't really pay attention to. So I'm not crazy about the term of calling this a Me Too horror movie, <laughs> um, which like some people have just like done that. And I'm like, no, it's it's more of just a story about generational trauma, very much, so. and how you know something that has happened to her decades ago is even affecting the people in her family. And one of the things that this movie does that changes it from Halloween H2O. Is that instead of giving her Josh Hartnett or some you know or or a son, mm-hmm. it's like now she has a daughter, yeah, and um and her daughter has a daughter, so she has a granddaughter, and you see how her own trauma, her own experience, directly affects her daughter, and how it directly affects her granddaughter, and how and how Lori raised ah crap what was her what was her daughter's name Kara. Kara, thank you. Or Karen. I think it's Karen. I want to say Kara, but it's like the way Lori raised Carrie. A uh, Carrie, Kara. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately butchers it. I'm going to try to avoid calling her Judy Greer because I know her as Judy Greer. <laughs> actually, I mean, we actually know her as Cheryl from, <laughs> from Archer, but the way... Yeah. It's Karen. Karen, yeah. thank you. So, it's like the way... Lori raised Karen to be a survivalist and to be able to protect herself and 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 not depend on anybody because she was always told about the boogeyman coming back to the point where it get and then we get to the next generation Karen's daughter Allison yes yeah so when we get to Allison where she grew up where her you know she sees her grandma one way and then she sees her mom Completely 180 from where her grandma is. Doesn't that always happen, though? Like, yeah. It's like it's, especially, too, like, relationships with their grandparents are always weird. Because gra- grandparent relationships are always overwhelmingly positive. Mm-hmm. You know, like, all you get from your grandparents is the affection that they didn't give to their own kids. Pretty much. <laughs> so, because so. grandparents don't have to reprimand their kids, you yeah. know? So it's like, grandparents' job is to spoil her. And you see that. You see that come out in this in this movie. And so at this point, it's like Allison 
doesn't even know if the boogeyman's real. And she even, like, you know, there's several scenes where she interacts with uh, Lori, and she's just like, you know, why'd you let him control your life to the point where it affected your family, you know? And it's because she doesn't understand. She didn't live through it, even though she's still feeling the effects of what happened during uh, the babysitter murders back in the 70s, you know? So, yeah, this is definitely, I agree, this is definitely a lot more about trauma and generational trauma and all that baggage we carry. And because you got rid of the brother-sister relationship now, it does almost feel like, Lori references that she has, like, two ex-husbands. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you almost get the sense that, that, and it's impossible, but I'm saying it's like, you almost get the sense that that's her relationship with Michael. Yeah. Is that Michael is like an abusive ex-husband who's gone away for a long time and is now all of a sudden back, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So, this is a really strong performance in that the movie just spends a lot of time focusing on her. We're not trying to figure out anything about Michael Myers' motivations anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, we're over all that. And, Rob, Zom- and yeah. Rob Zombie did like all of that to such an extreme that you just kind of don't want to go back to that anymore. Yeah, like, it's just, like... like just take him back to where he was in the beginning. Uh, they went through painstaking like uh, research to make sure that the mass that they cultivated like for this movie was you know, as close as possible as a 40-year-old version of that original Shatner mask would be mm-hmm. to the point where they had, like, found that mask. Like, you know, they went to see the mask, and a lot of the mask says some of it is decomposed, right, because obviously it was a sweaty mask that was worn for a summer in 1978, right? In Pasadena. So <laughs> it's got to be gross by now. Yeah. Um, so they, they, they kind of try to make an approximation of it, and also it just looks creepy. Um the actor that they get to play Michael Myers, James Jude Courtney, is imposing, you know. <clears throat> he is an old man. He, he has is. white hair yeah. on his beard. Like, the actor himself, like, he looks like an older man, but he's got such a presence to him mm-hmm. that it is pretty terrifying. And it feels like an older version of Rob Zombie's <laughs> Michael Myers in some way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, this movie... It, the brutality definitely is Mike Myers. I mean, Mike Myers what is I, um, Rob Zombie. What yes. I appreciate more than anything is that Danny McBride... Uh, is, you know, he and this co-writer, which I should include as well, because Danny did not write this by himself, um, Jeff Fraley. So Jeff Fraley and, and Danny McBride are big Halloween franchise fans, mm-hmm. and even though they decided to ignore the rest of the canon, um, they have put in tons of references to other movies in the franchise. Um, the mascot... Of the uh, school, the Huskies or, or Huskers or something, mm-hmm. are that's directly from Halloween 4. Mm-hmm. Um, the masks that kids are wearing on the streets when Lori is chasing them away, telling them to get in their houses, mm-hmm. those are the masks from Halloween 3, right? Yeah. The pumpkin, the jack-o'-lantern, I mean, the jack-o'-lantern, the witch, and the skeleton. That's right. Yeah. You know, uh, so it's nice to see the silver shamrock masks out there. Um, they recreate... That scene where Lori first sees uh, Michael Myers in Halloween 1, but instead it's Allison seeing her grandmother, seeing Lori, they recreate that. So they do a lot of that. Yeah, they pay a lot of attention to detail, and you can tell that this movie was done as a labor of love. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... The other thing that that I appreciate about this... God, I don't even remember. I had something in my head. Oh... Had something good. 
Mm, I hate this. <laughs> I'm so tired. Wanna pause it? No, it's fine. Um, I don't know where to go from here. Do you just want to get started? Jump in? Huh? Do you want to just get started and jump in? Yeah, we can go ahead and do that. Um, <clears throat> then you can edit things around. Yeah. Around. So the movie, uh, you know, the movie starts with um, the Universal logo, um, and then after the Universal logo and all the other, uh, you know, Miramax and Blumhouse, uh, we get to the black backdrop with the orange font from the original Halloween movie. And I right love away, love this title yeah. sequence, like. It's really cool. Like you see the uh, the time lapse decomposition of a pumpkin over however long it takes. It was just really well done. It definitely there's something very familiar about that. Yeah, yeah. Like they they went they went through they took a lot of time uh, recreating the pumpkin from the original title sequence. Mm-hmm. So if you ever go back and watch it, like it is exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. You know, it's neat. Uh, it starts with the the Smiths Grove uh, Sanitarium, where these two true crime podcasters are there mm-hmm. uh, to see Michael Myers. And, of course, podcasters are able to go to the Attorney General and get a <laughs> uh, serial killer <laughs> mask that should really be locked up in an evidence locker, never to see the light of day again unless it's... Or maybe even destroyed. Like. <laughs> but not nah, like, I know, what do you mean? I can call the Attorney General whenever the fuck I want. <laughs> Um, so they, they, you know, they showed that's where we start, right? With all this time. And now I finally remembered what I was going to say is, um, one of the original ideas, um, for this movie was for it to start right at the end of Halloween one. Oh, so yeah. So to yeah. do like an alternate beginning mm-hmm. or like, or to just kind of retcon the ending of the original Halloween, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how they would have done that, and <laughs> I know this isn't what they planned, but <laughs> you know we talked about Peter Cushing and Rogue One in the in the first episode. I was just like, I was just like, God, I was like, it, it, I guarantee you that if they had the money and the budget, if <laughs> if they wanted to, they would have just CGI'd a Donald Pleasance into the scene <laughs> of the original <laughs> of the original movie, just dead face, but li- like life full eyes like <laughs> but um but you know uh so that that obviously never got shot so we start here with older michael myers uh the podcasters bring the mask to him and as they're holding it up you know uh, all the other inmates are going crazy and you know this movie doesn't really provide a flattering portrayal of people in institutions but it, i nice. guess i guess you're left to assume that the people in these institutions are dangerous I mean, I guess at that point, they're supposed to be criminally insane, and they're supposed to be, like, to the point where they're a danger to themselves and others and stuff. Which, this feels like it's something that was spawned out of that Halloween Return script, It's definitely, I mean... Except he's not on death row. That's the only thing. Oh, yeah, he's not on death row. Like, the only thing about it, like, my biggest gripe is that, I mean... the only thing about this is it doesn't do any favors for, you know, awareness of mental illness, right? It still makes... It makes anyone with mental illness looks like Stark raving mad. Which is what we complained about in Bird Box as well Yeah. Last week. <laughs> it's like, no matter what... I, I, I think that's one of those things that no matter what, Hollywood's never going to get right, right. Is we're never going to be able to treat, I guess, people with mental illness 
we're not able to portray them accurately. But I think it's also one of those things. Hopefully, our society is able to come to a point where we're able to separate fact from fiction. But I don't know. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, we, we, we it goes pretty quickly. Um, like, the movie itself, is it, it, it feels like it's so short. It tries um, to get through the stuff we already know. Very quick. Yeah, very quick. And like you said, the like for example... Oh, what I do like about it is they do go back and actually play these tapes, quote-unquote, from Dr. Loomis. Yeah. And, um, you know, I obviously know what Donald Pleasant sounds like, and this is not Donald Pleasant. It is some mm-hmm. other, you know... But if you're a fan like me, and you like the movie, but you're not obsessive over it, you're like... Oh yeah, like you you can register that's Don, that's that's yeah, Loomis. Of course, it is Loomis. Yeah, and, it's and, definitely and Loomis. I even always, if it's not Don, I will always it. accept it as Loomis. But it's just uh, it's funny when they go to that not Loomis recording mm-hmm. and uh, not <laughs> not Loomis. <laughs> it, it will always be Loomis, but that wasn't Loomis. <laughs> and, and you know, and, and the voice talks about how like Michael's should not only be you know, that Michael should be killed and that they should like burn the remains like just like it's he's just like he should be eviscerated and then set on fire <laughs> and then pooped on like he has gone from wanting to see him locked up to just wanting to see him completely destroyed and taken off this earth mm-hmm. but then I think which which and you know what I didn't get until we watched it this time um I had to pay attention to it so one of the things that we do miss because they didn't film that original ending uh-huh. is you know, Will Patton's character, the deputy mm-hmm. that is there, or the, sh- I don't know if he's a, sh- he has to be the deputy, I think, because the sheriff is the other guy with the with the cowboy hat. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He's, uh, no, the sheriff is Annie's dad. In the original. In the original. Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm talking about uh, this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, I think the dude with the black hat is the is the sheriff. Yeah. And, and Will Patton, which Actually, Will Patton... was that ever... Who I on? always remember as the coach from Remember the Titans. And it's so sad to see him as such an older man now. And it just reminds me of my own age. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, now a guy who, like, looks so young... Is now you know he's balding. He's barely got any hair. And he's he always like, looked old. What are you talking about? Yeah, but now he looks more old. <laughs> yeah, <it's> older. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the the black guy with the with the hat, right? Yes. It's never established yeah. who he is. I can't tell if he's the. And maybe the movie says it, and I just missed it. Because Patton is the sheriff. Is he okay? But that guy might be an investigator. But he's also sounds like he's connected with the sheriff's department, right? So he could be the guy in charge. No, I was gonna say he could be the the guy that was in charge of like the the transfer. But then no, he didn't know not. he didn't know Michael Myers was on no. the. On he was the with bus. the police department. He might be an investigator. Yeah, or he might. Oh fucking no! Yeah. We might need to rewatch it after this podcast. <laughs> but uh, but you know, but this scene was originally gonna show what they do discuss later. Like Will Patton mentions it to our. Uh, the doctor now for Michael Myers, whose name is Dr. Sartain. He's not Loomis to me. He, okay. Well, yeah, for sure. He's the real not Loomis. Yeah. <laughs> but he actually like sits in the car with uh, with Will Patton's sheriff character. And uh, that's where he tells him that he was actually the one who arrested Michael Myers the mm-hmm. night the night on, on Halloween, where he said Loomis wanted to kill him, and he ended up arresting him instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know... It, it's they include that part right like you know loomis was done with this guy at this point and 
Um, you know, the podcasters, I guess they're trying to go back to the Michael Myers case and see if there's any new information that they can discover. They try to get him to talk, which is like something that several characters in this movie try to do for Michael. There's an obsession with humanizing Michael in this movie. And it almost feels like a meta joke, too. It is. Right? Like, it's just like they're trying to do the Rob Zombie thing of making Michael. And it's funny because Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 ends with Michael Myers actually stabbing uh, Dr. Loomis and <laughs> screaming, Die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Him. So it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like now everyone wants to hear that. No, it's, it's like, like everyone wants to get him to talk and register that he's human and he's not. And I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. The point is that, you know, that, uh, you know, DGG and Danny McBride are trying to make is that you can't reason with this guy because all he is is id and all he is is just murder boner, you know? <laughs> like, you can't reason with a murder boner. It's just there. And, yeah, because everyone, like, it feels like everyone wants to get him to talk or wants him to, to talk to him. Right. And it's like you can't, you know, you can't reason with Michael Myers anymore than you can reason with a hurricane or an earthquake. And I almost, and I almost feel like, I almost feel like this is the part of it where, not that it feels like me too, but I guess this is where we talk about how we kind of ignore women when they report um, instances of abuse. Mm-hmm. Because... They go to see Laurie Strode, and she lives in a fortress compound now. Mm-hmm. Um, she does not want to let them in. She's got electric gates, cameras, all the good stuff. Like, yeah. like she is, like she's been building this place. It for is a decades. bunker. Yeah. Um, and you know, they the only way that they really get in there is that they offer to pay her three thousand dollars. Mind you, she's clinically agoraphobic, so she's afraid of the outside world. Right. Like she does not go out unless she has to. So the fact that she's letting people from the outside world in into her like personal area to her personal space that's like you know it's pretty big it's supposed to be big for this character right. but again the motivation is money because they can offer her something and yeah this is when I was like like and I told you before this like this scene where the podcasters come talk to Lori is where I'm just like I don't like them yeah. Because it's very, like, they, it feels like they, they're very shifty. Like, they got something in mind. Like, they're trying to do a gotcha moment with Lori. And, like, you mentioned before in the other recording, our mini-sode, like, it feels like they want to put some of the blame on right. Lori. Right. Like, there's very much kind of like a hint of victim blaming, like, being and like... And she catches it, too. Yeah. Because she, like, starts saying, oh, well, Michael's a human being. We have to understand that. And where, like, you know, she she talks about, like, all that stuff where she says, oh, yeah, the state took away my child, but you already knew that. Yeah, like... And it's just, like, she she catches the bullshit really quickly, and, um... It's like they're trying to antagonize her to, like, what's discredit her, you know? Discredit her what she'd been through. And then they go on to say, like... You know, you should. You what if you confront him and like that can be very therapeutic and blah blah blah. And it's like, you know, as someone that worked at a crisis center before, you don't encourage anyone to confront their abuser. Like that's stupid and irresponsible. That's, that's very irresponsible. Yeah, and, and and obviously she's not gonna do it. Like it's just like it. You know, it it's. I get what the point of the characters are. The point of these characters is to catch us up on what happened. Yeah. Establish the timeline to let 
to let us know as the audience right away. There's no other sequels. Mm-hmm. There's no other movies in this series. It is only the original movie and this, and this movie. Yeah. But absolutely, it's just uh, you know this is where this movie like starts to you know it, it's grounded in a reality where I don't think any other Halloween movie in this franchise is. Yeah. It's like, like yeah. with the exception of the attempt that they try to do it with certain parts of Rob... Like, even Rob Zombie's one feels a little campy and cartoony compared yeah. to this. This Halloween movie is about as grounded in reality as you can get with a supernatural escape killer. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's... It, like, he, Michael is still going to be the supernatural killer that he has been once he finally shows up which is you know it's it's cool i guess it's a little disappointing i was kind of hoping but it's like how do you show that he's human right like yeah like, outside of just like murdering him yeah but, like uh, there's no i mean and even then like i didn't really get much of a feeling of it being supernatural like at least in this movie yeah i mean he it's not like he does any well i mean yeah well the violence and the effects of the violence we see can be most ca- cartoonish at some points I mean, it's still... There's a level of brutality to it. There's a... You know, it's still within in in reason, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, like... So, so Laurie goes to see Michael get transported to a maximum security prison the night before Halloween. Because, mm-hmm. of course, you know, if there was a serial killer who killed everyone on Halloween 40 years ago, the time that we would transfer him is the night before Halloween again, because that's how he escaped the first time. So let's do it again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, again, it's like, it's like the, one, the one reason why I think this movie can get away with that is because of the amount of time that has passed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where you're like, none of the same people who are working in this place are even around anymore. So, you know, no one would know this, I guess, or no one would pay close enough attention to this. Um, Lori knows, and Lori goes to see him uh, be taken away on the bus. Mm-hmm. And while she does, she kind of like has a breakdown oh, yeah. like a mini breakdown in the car she's, and she's drinking. drinking yeah she has her gun on her she <laughs> has a knife she has another gun <laughs> and right after that you know it cuts to um cuts to care karen and uh her daughter and her fought and you know and her and her husband ray who like it's very much a non-character in this movie and kind of just exists to to, to you know, to have a dad that's a I don't know. It's like he's just a character that's kind of there. Yeah, um, he's likable. You know, the actor is likable and the character is likable. With, yeah, I mean, he's he's a. There's no crappily written characters in this movie. I feel like everyone that is on the screen serves a purpose and they do their purpose and then they're gone. Right. Like the way I I bunch the characters up in this movie specifically are. Lori and her brood. This is like, a this is a Jamie Lee Curtis vehicle. Yes. Yeah. This is uh I think the the way they And serves an in, as an introduction for her granddaughter in case we're going to like have her if in you're gonna make a sequel. Yeah. This is a very protagonist driven horror movie where the focus is on the survivor from the last movie and the potential survivors from this movie. The Michael Fodder, everyone that's gonna get murdered, or in is in danger of being murdered and then michael yeah you know like that's the way and you know the only people that really push the action along in my opinion are really um karen allison and Lori. you know uh but yeah this scene was really it really did a good job of expressing what each character like the motivation for all the characters 
and more importantly, the relationship of all the characters, like where where they stand, because you know, you and I come from a family, you know, we that's very well patriarchal, matriarchal, matriarchal, where there's like a figurehead and everyone listens to that figurehead, but that's not how the Strode family is at all, you know, like it, Karen and Lori have almost no relationship. Yeah. And to the point where Karen lies to Allison several times yeah. about <laughs> Lori being able to attend a family function. A family function. Yeah. And Allison knowing that her mother lied to her yep. because she actually maintains has a much better relationship with her grandmother than Karen does with She her only mother. refers to Ed's grandmother. Yeah, like no matter what, never calls her grandma, never call her not never calls her gam gam or anything weird. Hey, if it's her Granny like, yes. Lori. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of grandmother. That just sounds weird. Like, <laughs> well, especially like a Gen Zer. Like, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like, you know. But then again, it's who knows. Maybe that's just how Gen Zers talk to their grandmothers. Shit. God, doesn't know. it suck to just be like the grumpy old man now? I've been a grumpy old man since I was twelve. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Lori shows up at this family dinner, and she basically ruins it with her drinking. Um, and, Mom, and, why are you drunk all the time? <laughs> and you know, it's funny because it's again when I talk about their gritty reality that this movie exists, and it's like it's. I'm, we've all had moments like that, right? This where, shit happens at family where, functions. Exactly, where you have like one relative that just gets out of hand, and and all of a sudden it turns it into an awkward situation for everybody. <laughs> There's it's... always one relative that gets fucked up and has to bring up old shit that no one wants to talk about, <laughs> and that's Lori. <laughs> oh my god, we get it. You were almost murdered. God. So after that, you know, uh, Lori. Is kind of escorted out of the restaurant by, by Karen. Well, she leaves. She she leaves, and then ma'am, you know, ma'am, I Allison need you to goes, leave right now. <laughs> no, she's just like you know. Lori leaves, and Allison goes after her, and they all go after her. And Karen just reminds her. She goes, "This is why we don't invite her to stuff." And <laughs> it's just you know, it's 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 funny enough. When I first saw this movie, I hated Karen. Because, like, she just felt like such an unlikable character. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, now that I think about it... You and understand now that I've seen it, You kind yeah. of, like... It's got to suck, right? Like, it's got to suck to just, like, not be able to... You know, it's someone that you care about, right? But you're mm-hmm. just not able to have a relationship with them because you have such a totally different idea of how to do things, right? Mm-hmm. So, it's, you know... Um, and, but, I, like, I la- like this isn't, this scene isn't funny in the least... Like, I laugh because I relate to it. Yeah. After that, um, you know, it cuts to the, I guess, another callback to the original movie, which is the bus scene, right? Yeah, the uh, bus crash. Which, in the original movie, it's not a bus that crashes. It's Dr. Loomis and, uh, you know... Her nurse. nurse? Yeah, Nurse Marion. Nurse Ratchet. Who are driving up to the sanitarium. And when they're driving there, that's where they see all the inmates that are walking and wandering outside. Mm-hmm. So this is where the reference to the original movie comes. Where it's like the first time since the original movie that you see the inmates wandering around. And it's not as creepy as the original movie because the original movie it was all pitch black. And it you is. just see like ghosts. It is terrifying. The fir- yeah, in, in the, the original movie, In the yeah. original movie, it's super terrifying because you see... 
you know, like like you said, it's pitch black and it's shot from a far distance mm-hmm. and it's nothing but these white gowns everywhere and to where it almost looks like ghosts that are just yeah. like out. you know what it reminds me of I, if you ever watch uh, for those of you who've seen the Blair Witch Project there's a scene where they're shooting with that black and white film camera and uh, someone is chasing uh, Heather Donahue's character uh, through the woods and she's like running ahead and because she was wearing like an all white pajama or something like that like and she has like a hat that's like like a pointy hat oh it yeah. looks terrifying like when you're looking at her because you, you never know? get a good look but yeah it's like that's going on yeah when you're watching her like an all white just like run through the forest and in this movie this scene isn't as creepy as the 1978 one but it's a really cool callback it's a really cool way to up you know it's a really cool updated way to go back to the original scene um and in this scene, we are introduced to this father-son pair that's driving. They're going on a hunting trip. And it, it's funny. I mentioned to you before, you can kind of tell Danny McBride's influence on the script writing. Because right. a lot of it is between is, is in the banter. He writes really good banter. And it's very, very Danny McBride. But because it's so well written, you're okay with it being in this scene. Exactly. Because there's like the argument between the kid who wants to be a dancer and he wants to go to dance class mm-hmm. and his dad wanting him to hunt and do quote unquote manly things. Right. And my favorite part is the kid goes, look, dancing is my thing. I'm happy to do this <laughs> on the weekends with you, but I really want to go to dance class. Yeah. And it, it was really cool. It was funny, you know, especially during such a tense scene. And this there's actually a lot of chatter about guns in this. I mean, not a lot, but it, there's this scene where, you know, he talks about shooting guns with his dad. And then there's also the earlier scene where you first meet Ray, the husband, where he oh, talks yeah. about uh, Allison's boyfriend and saying, you know, it's cute when you meet and then and then you get guns and then your kids get guns <laughs> and that kind of stuff. And yeah. obviously there was like this funny thing where... Uh, a lot of conservatives were criticizing Jamie Lee Curtis because she's, you know, she was very much with the, you know, with the Parkland survivors who are fighting for an assault rifles uh, ban. And she was very much with them. And then Fox News, like, put out this bogus story, like, this ridiculous story where they're like, oh, they're like, well, how come Jamie Lee Curtis is okay with using guns in Halloween, but she's not okay with, like, you know, but she's not okay with using them in real life, which is... So when I hear about that, I think back to how earlier I said I hope our society gets back to when we can separate fact and fiction. Yeah. And holy shit, that makes me <laughs> afraid that that might never happen. <laughs> oh, God. So in this scene, um, this scene is important because... <laughs> what it reminds me of... What? And I'm sorry to go on this, like, tangent. No, nah, that's fine. But it reminds me of that Simpsons episode... <laughs> Where they find, I don't know who it is that finds out, but it's like somebody like uh, discovers that Homer Simpson likes to write letters to movies, and you find, and then one of his letters actually starts with the header, Dear Die Hard. Dear Die Hard. Dear Halloween. Oh my god. <laughs> I was just gonna laugh about that in five minutes. Die hard. 
Oh, oh shit. Man. Anyway, so the reason why this seems important is because it really shows that all bets are off in this movie and everyone can possibly be murdered. Right. Fucking kids get murdered. Fucking babies almost get murdered. Yeah. Dogs get murdered. No, killing killing the that. kid is a is a bold choice. Especially right now. Like especially in 2019. That's true. Yeah. It's... Like so <coughs> pretty much what happens is you know the 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 kid his dad, the kid's dad goes out and he's trying to find survivors <laughs> from this bu- bus crash. He can't find him, so the kid goes out and tries to look <laughs> for his dad. Oh, no worries. And he comes out with his rifle, and you're like, okay, this kid has a chance, you know? And so he goes onto the bus, and that's when he sees Dr. Sarkazian? Sarkazian? No, uh, Dr. Sartain. Sartain. Ah, fucking A. I'm never going to remember his stupid name. <laughs> he means not Loomis, and not Loomis screams, don't shoot, to which the kid promptly responds by shooting him in the chest. <laughs> Or he shoots him in the shoulder, he wings him, right? Yeah. So he panics and he runs back to the car and in a callback to Halloween set in the seventy eight, um Michael Myers was in the back seat the entire time and murders this kid pretty brutally, especially for a child, where he's right. like smashing his head up against the, the window and ends up snapping his neck. So, at this point, you're like, all bets are off. Anyone can get it. Lori can get it. You know, her family can get it. Like, you know, anything can happen in this movie. So, that takes us to... Why am I looking at something from 4chan? Oh, that takes us back to our podcasters. So, the podcast... Uh, the 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 true crimes podcasters they go to, um, to Michael's sister's grave. What's what's her name again? Judith. Judith. So they go to Judith Myers's grave, and the caretaker is trying to find out what's so important about Judith Myers, because apparently a bunch of people come back to her. So they do a quick recording, and then in the distance, in classic Michael Myers fashion, we see. Michael Myers hanging out by the tree watching from uh, from afar. Mm-hmm. So this takes us to the gas station scene. So the gas station... It, the reason why I really like the gas station scene is because it reminds me of... It, or it really hammers home the point I made in the 1978 Halloween movie during that review. Where... Michael Myers is the most dangerous and the most terrifying when you can't see him. Right. When he's not on screen. Because then you come up on what he did off screen and you're like, how? I He was just here. This just happened. Right. How did I miss it? Because all the while, like, it focuses on our podcasters. And as they're doing things in the gas station, you always see Michael Myers... Doing something in the background. And, you know, there's one point where I think the podcaster's name is Aaron. Mm-hmm. Aaron's, like, paying for gas. And then you see a guy, like, you see this guy in a jumpsuit, like, a tow truck driver get jumped. And then you just see Michael just punching him over and over in the background. And then, you know, what's her name? Dana ends up going to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And you oh, know. before that, what's it called? Um, Aaron 
is out as he's outside pumping gas. There's he catches like a glimpse of a truck uh-huh. with these like people in it who look to be like those like crazy, you know, southern evangelist. Like where they're, you know, it's like I don't know if it's like Doomsday something, but they just like give them a creepy look from yeah. outside. It's one of those weird things that like it's, you know, it it, it serves no purpose, but it's just like. It's this creepy moment that's right there. If you're watching a stereotype, uh, or I'm sorry, not stereotype. If you're watching a archetype slasher film, they might be the what's called the harbinger. You know, the yeah. person that tells you the story of the killer you're about to encounter. Right. And they just have this weird look, but they don't say anything. They just stare at him, and he's just like, you know, it, it's very unsettling. And all the while. Terrible stuff is going on in the background. So Dana ends up going to the bathroom and someone comes in and starts knocking on her door. And, you know, she tells him it's occupied. And then you see this hand reach over the top and drops teeth. And then we see a bunch of bloody teeth fall down, right? Which, which yeah, was in the trailer and it was terrifying mm-hmm. in the trailer. And <clears throat> after that, Aaron, he goes and he finds the one, the other gas station attendant had his jaw, like, ripped off. Yeah. And all his teeth ripped out. Yeah. And that's when he knows Michael Myers is here. He goes, he tries to save Dana. It doesn't end well. Both of them get murdered savagely in that bathroom. Which is a... So this gas station has references to both... Halloween 4, yep. which is where Loomis is on his way to Haddonfield and finds Michael in this remote gas station uh, where everyone's dead. And then it's also the bathroom sequence uh, is very much a throwback to Halloween H2O, mm-hmm. which uh, has like a mother and her daughter uh, at a you know highway rest stop where Michael like comes into the... You know, comes into the bathroom, except in that movie it's played more as a gag. And in mm-hmm. this movie it's just like, it is a... Harsh, brutal, Rob Zombie-like death. And even in the Rob Zombie movie, there was a bathroom scene. Where Remember where Mike Myers, Michael Myers yeah. fights a trucker? Where he fights Joe Grizzly, yeah. bitch. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch! Yeah. But uh, yeah. he ends up fighting him in, the, in there. So, and, and, you know, Aaron and Michael, they tussle a little bit. But it was, you kind of know what's going to happen. Right. And then from there, you jump into the Halloween night. Mm-hmm. Which you know kicks well, off. Well, yeah. well, before yeah, before you move on from that, I wanted to bring it back to a point you made in the 1978 one, where remember how when I, I mentioned how bizarre and how out of character it was for uh, Michael to create that tableau for Lori. Yeah, and you were saying that it's kind of like this, you know, like he's playing, right? Well, it's funny when they do go to the cemetery. I did. I totally forgot to mention this too. But when they go to the cemetery and they see the headstone for Judith Myers, mm-hmm. it's the same headstone from the original Halloween movie. Oh, really? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So, but in this movie, you see that playfulness that come back, come back for yeah. sure. And again, it's just like it was in that scene in the you know the 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 master bedroom scene in Halloween seventy eight. Where Michael Myers is once again playing with his prey. And it's like he wants them to know he's going to kill them. Right. And he wants them to know they're going to suffer when it happens. Right. And that's the whole point. Like, that, there's no other reason for him to 
calmly like that means it's a very deliberate because he had like nine ten eleven teeth in his hand so that means he deliberately ripped this guy's teeth out Ugh. so we're seeing again a very savage very methodical michael myers and it's terrifying to think about you know when you really start thinking about yeah. logistically how that shit works out uh, but like you were saying, we go back now. We get to Halloween night, which kicks off with uh, a kind of uh, homage to both the original Halloween, which is like the scene where it shows the long tracking shot of Michael walking inside the house mm-hmm. to kill his sister. But it's also, <clears throat> to me, it feels more like a reference to the beginning of Halloween Two, mm-hmm. the original one, because if you ever watch that movie. It begins with a long tracking shot of Michael walking through the back alley of these homes. So in the original movie where they shot, you know, they, they shot a lot of those scenes in the, in the actual homes. Uh, I think it's, they said in West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So, it, so it's more of a reference to Halloween 2 where uh, Michael is walking through the alleyways in, in the neighborhood, right? After he has already escaped and he's loose in the town of Haddonfield. <laughs> the sush is on the loose. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, I love this. I love this scene. It's an awesome uh, reference or homage to part two. And, you know, again, it just shows the brutality of it. He, he goes uh, to the back of this house, grabs a hammer, and the woman who is wearing curlers inside her home mm-hmm. is a total lift from the beginning of Halloween 2 where he goes into Very that couple's so. home and, and scares them, right? And... Except in this one, instead of scaring them, he goes in and just like whacks her with a hammer. And then he comes and grabs a kitchen knife. And then the camera continues to follow him. Now, when he goes into the other room, you see that there's a baby in a crib. Uh, Everyone in my theater gasped when when they saw him go into it. Because now, since he did kill the kid earlier in the scene, which, you know, that that was a direct reference to the original movie where he chokes Annie out... um, when he goes in there and he sees the, you know, it sees the baby, everyone was just like, God, this kid's about, this baby's about to get it now. Yeah. Because this movie has just shown, right, that it's got a new level of brutality. There's no reason for you not to believe Michael would kill this kid. Right. You know? But and. Thankfully, he does not. <laughs> it's funny because in your movie theater, people were probably scared shitless. In my movie theater, uh, I watched it in Richmond. And I watched it with one of my buddies, and we went in there. Mind you, we were probably watching like at 10. It was like a 9.30, almost 10 showing. Someone thought it was a good idea to bring a fucking toddler into this movie at like 9 o'clock at night. I would have been one of those people. And this, Yeah, but you know what? Your daughter wouldn't be crying in the middle of this movie. She would, but it's just my wife and I just, I mean... We've always wanted to do it, but at the same time, we're like, it's just not going to work. Yeah, well, some dumb asshole thought it was a good idea <laughs> and let their baby cry and a lot. So I think that the consensus was Michael to do it, to live vicariously <laughs> through him. But yeah, like, please, please, for the love of Christ, if you're going to go watch a horror movie and you have a child, just wait. <laughs> wait or get a sitter, please. Don't be those assholes. <laughs> But, yeah, like, at this point, you there's no reason for you to believe that, you know, he isn't capable of killing this child. Thankfully, he doesn't. And then they do this really weird meta scene 
where he goes through the alleyway into this other house and there's this woman talking on the phone about how she's going to lock her doors because there's all kinds of weird people out and you never know who's going to come up. And right when he does that, this woman gets fucking murdered and like hard, just like stabbed through her neck. And then Michael closes the, the curtains. And already he like doubles his... Kill count. His kill count from the first movie <laughs> yeah. in like a matter of what two scenes. So this is the part that of the movie that introduces us to Angel and I's favorite character, young King Julian. Oh, Julian! <laughs> All right, so Julian is the one of the kids who's being babysat by Allison's friend. Um, mm-hmm. I forgot what her name was, but... Well, I will tell you right now. But Julian is a very... Because in this podcast, we give people the respect that they deserve. So... So, uh, Allison's f- best friend is Vicky, okay. the babysitter. So, Julian is a very polarizing character among people I've talked to. Where some people either what? thought he was hilarious and that he was welcome to addition to the movie. Or some people thought that it was too out of place to have a funny kid. I need to know who you were talking to. because <laughs> I'm going to go fight them. <laughs> Not just do I want to fight them. But Julian was also universally loved mm. by Twitter and other people that I have that I know that have so anecdotally movie. and you know factually he is a great character <laughs> but yeah like I knew a lot of people that I talked to that they were just like it felt out of place in a horror movie and it's like name a horror movie that didn't have some levity like you know like especially nowadays and well thought, it goes back to what you talk about right like this is a character piece on Lori and her family mm-hmm. but every character even though they're Michael Fodder they are, um, you know, they're, they are given enough for you to care about them. Yeah. And we should also point out, Julian is never killed, so yeah. he could be led to believe that this will now be a Julian-led franchise after this sequel. It, oh, I would love that. I would love for Julian to come back in ten years and want revenge on Michael Myers. <laughs> But no Julians were hurt in the making of this film. <laughs> and he's hilarious. Like, I, right away, him and Vicky have this, like, interaction where he's, like, he's clipping his toenails and Vicky's talking about how he's, <laughs> she's going to have her friends over so that they can smoke some reefer. Which he refers to as his nasty-ass toenails. <laughs> yeah, he refers, to his, he refers to his toenails as nasty-ass toenails. And then she refers to weed as Alakazam, which was fucking stupid, but... <laughs> That's something a teenager would come up it's with. It's like the whitest teenest name for Yeah, for my parents My parents would never come up, would never <laughs> fucking figure that code out. But it was um, hella funny because, you know, they had this really like a very kind of Gen Z back and forth. Yeah. It also is a throwback to Lori's relationship with Tommy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this movie, you know, this is where Michael goes back to his original M.O., which is killing babysitters. Yeah. Stalking and killing a babysitter. It also turns the formula on its head in that the, you know, before it was the girls who went out to party were the ones that got killed, and then the babysitter was safe. Now the babysitter is the one who's going to be killed yeah. in this movie. And, you know, in the in that scene, so... We get introduced to Dave, Vicky's boyfriend. Well, in the beginning of the movie. We actually got introduced yeah. to him earlier where Allison, Vicky, and Dave are all walking 
uh, through their neighborhood, which is uh, a direct lift to <clears throat> Lori and her friends talking to each other on the way back from school yeah. on Halloween 1. So, we don't get introduced to him, but Jewin gets introduced to Dave at this point. And it's funny because you can tell how much Julian likes Vicky. Like, not just because of what he says, like, that, you know, you're my favorite babysitter. But the part where he says, Dave, there's a monster. You should go up. There's a monster in my room. Go up there and stop it. Me and Vicky will be down here. (laughs) I do also like where, like, Vicky tells, (laughs) tells Julian that he's not her favorite. And she... Where he's like her 10th favorite and she babysits some real asshole kids. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, at the end, like once he, she finally does put him to bed, like, you know, that's when she tells him, no, she goes, ah, it's kidding. You're actually my favorite. Yeah. Like and, they have a very sweet relationship, very like brother sister. And then at some point, uh, Julian comes down and he complains about someone in his closet, mm-hmm. which brings us to the scene that ended the initial trailer, uh, which is, you know, is telegraphed and I knew it was coming because yeah. of the trailer. Uh, but you know, it's probably in the trailer, it was the best scare and, um, probably one of the better scares of the movie, uh, her trying to shut the door and it's hitting Michael's big old boot and that's why it's not closing. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, Michael comes out and he stabs her. Mm-hmm. Um, Julian leaves, uh, Dave is, you know, they, they, they set this up in a weird way where Dave is alone on, a, on, you know, Julian's parents' motorcycle in the garage. Mm-hmm. And you're like wondering which one of them is going to get axed for half a second, right? And you're thinking, uh, you know, everything leads you to believe that it's going to be Dave because yeah. the babysitter's always safe. Mm-hmm. That's the point of being the babysitter in a horror movie is that you're usually the last girl, you know? But no, she... You know, like, it catches you off guard because it turns out actually Vicky's the first one to get it. And Dave comes running in with a knife of his own thinking that he's going to go save his girlfriend. And that's the last we see of Dave. Yeah. Uh, At this point, the sheriff, um, Will Patton's character, is responding to to a 911 call. And he goes upstairs, and when he goes into Julian's room, he sees a blood-soaked figure, or I'm sorry, a blood-soaked sheet over a figure. Obvious callback to uh, Halloween one with I think, what was his name, Billy? No, what was the what was the character that had the the stupid sheet over his head, or that Linda's boyfriend? Linda's Bob. boyfriend Bob. There yeah. you go. So the sheet looks like the ghost sheet. And when did it have the glasses? I think it did, right? It had the glasses. I think it. Like I think it had yeah. glasses. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it is a direct lift. So you know, Will Patton goes and you find out that it's actually Vicky. So it's Vic, uh, Vicky's body. Again, going back to what I was mentioning earlier, Michael Myers is playing with his. He's toying with his. Uh, he's toying with his prey again. Yeah. And he's setting up these things that he wants people to find. And while this is happening, Lori has been, you know, racing over there in her truck. Uh, she parks. She has already chased away all the Silver Shamrock kids. Get the fuck out of here! Get outside! <laughs> pulls out a gun. Um, pulls out a gun. And I think it's like a revolver. And mm-hmm. Lori's a good shot because she goes, you know, she looks into the second story window where she sees Michael uh, in the window and that great scene where she shoots and it hits him right on the head, but it shatters because it's, it's a, a mirror. mirror. Yeah. So it's that was that was a good that was a good little fake out. Um, and then so you know she's chasing after Michael. She ends up winging him, and he ends but he ends up escaping. Yeah. Will Patton scares 
Lori, I, I forget what the character's name is, but so I'll just refer, continue to refer to him as Will Patton. <laughs> That's all I've been calling Sheriff him. Will Patton. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sheriff Coach. <laughs> Sheriff Coach. So okay. Sheriff Coach gets the drop on her and she panics and punches him right in the nose. <laughs> Hawkins, that's his name. There we go, Sheriff Hawkins. <laughs> so he gets punched. Sheriff Coach Hawkins. <laughs> so he gets punched in the face, and at this point, everyone knows, there's no denying it, Michael Myers is back. And so they put out an APB to get all everyone that's related to Laurie Strode right. together and at, at her compound, because yeah. it's the only place that Michael doesn't know of and that they can be safe. Meanwhile, Allison is at the dance with her boyfriend, Cameron, mm-hmm. and they were teasing the entire time that they're Bonnie and Clyde with a little twist, and so they decided to do the gender flip thing, yeah. where she's uh, Clyde and he's Bonnie. Um, and it's funny, because guy in a dress. But, you know, I mean, it, it's cute. Like It's modern. It's a, right? Yeah, it's like, definitely. This, if nothing else, this movie is modern. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, eventually... <laughs> Cameron, it's it's telegraphed that Cameron's a douche, um, but not oh, not overtly, but you know he kind of is. You kind of see it. Well, he's obviously got an alcohol problem. He definitely, yeah, he definitely drinks a lot for a teenager. <laughs> and man, alcohol was readily available for teenagers in Haddonfield <laughs> since the seventies till now. And it's it's not that they're just drinking, it's the fact that they're drinking at the school. Like, it's very obvious that they're drinking there. He's hammered. He's like. sh- he's fucking shwasted. <laughs> but he's hitting on a girl. But even then, like, this is where it gets a little weird because, I don't know, maybe I just didn't see it like that, but it didn't really look like he was hitting on her. No, he wasn't. The other girl, like, then kisses him. And was he, that what like, it was? just And he kind of just goes with it. And, uh, oh. you know, he doesn't push away or anything like that. And I don't think I was paying attention to that. I, I, that well. I, like, yeah, like, I think... It was, like, I, a weird interaction they had. Yeah, like, it's, like, they don't they don't want to make anybody overtly unlikable. Yeah. Uh, in all it, of this. It's not like the Rob Zombie movies where they purposefully made everyone unlikable because <laughs> everyone is a piece of shit, according yeah. to Rob Zombie. But it's, like, even the pieces of shit in this movie are, like, they have some sort of redeeming quality. Right. Right, and there's, uh, so, the, you know, he goes and But then he does do an asshole thing, because he ends up throwing, you know, while they're having an argument, he throws... <laughs> I don't know what the hell he throws her phone inside <laughs> he of. He throws her phone into a bowl of mashed potatoes? <laughs> like, it looks like really thick, disgusting pudding. Like, it's a weird consistency for, like, a bowl of fucking fluffy nacho cheese. It looks like, like those fucking DIY YouTube videos where people are making gag, like, homemade yeah, gag. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, it was... It just, like, it even makes that noise. <laughs> it just, like, plopped into the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> like, you would think that she could probably just, like... She could grab it and yeah. dry it off. Like Just put it in a bowl of rice. Come on. Yeah, come on. We all know that. We all know the secret. <laughs> but, no, this is, like, the mechanism to, like, completely cut her off from her technology. And that's when she leaves a dance with uh, Cam- Cameron's friend and her friend, mm. who I need to find out what his name is. God, I'm so bad with names in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Cameron's so he's... friend is... So this... Oscar... Oscar... Oscar was unlikable. Unlikable? He, to me, he was unlikable since the beginning. There's something off about him. Because he seems like the type of dude to be like, oh, she put me in the friend zone. Well, exactly. Right? And that's like, exactly what he does. That's exactly what happens. He walks home. Well, he walks Allison home and, you know, he's Cameron's best friend. And the whole time it's like, they're such close friends that it's... Oh, there's 
like that even in the beginning when they when we first are introduced to them, I actually thought they were gay and I thought they were like lovers. Like I mm. thought they were boyfriends. Like that's it like it just seemed like totally like that's what it was, right? What, so. do, you, what do you mean? They acted like you and me. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I like, it's funny, like I it caught me off guard when he walks Allison home and tries to make out with her because honest to God, I swear I thought Oscar was gay. And yeah, and maybe I misread it somehow, and maybe that just says something about me. But yeah, it's you know he tries to kiss her, and she like is... what kind of piece of shit that literally thirty minutes after your your homie like did a dick move first of all. Well, this is another thing we were talking about, like what kind of movie this is and what kind of statement it's making. Yeah. It's, it's also calling out, you know, it's calling out these guys who like. You know, it's calling out the friend zone and yeah. and how like you know guys feel like they're entitled to sex just because they do one act that's polite, right? Oh, uh, the nice guys. Yeah, like it's 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 the nice guy thing. <laughs> Men are trash. The movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Oh god, but yeah, like he calls that out, um, and then he has that. He has that. The, okay, th- this scene, Oscar's death scene, is really well done it's my favorite death scene of the movie the way they play with the lights because they 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 try to do this uh they try to get into they go into someone's gated front yard or fenced off front yard as a shortcut there's no score in the background no score in the background there's no lights there's all it is is motion sensors so he tries to make out with allison allison gets pissed off rightfully so and ends up walking away and leaving him there so she ends up climbing the fence and going out the other way. He, Oscar's drunk out of his mind. Yeah. And so he, en- he can't tell that the guy that, like, he thinks the guy that's behind him in the tree is the neighbor. Yeah, and he's trying to talk to him, and he's trying to get advice, and he's Which like, another Danny McBride and uh, Jeff Fairley joke is, uh, it's, it's, the neighbor's name is uh, Mr. Elrod, which mm-hmm. was one of the old elderly neighbors in Halloween 2. Really? Oh, interesting. Like, that's how obscure, that is how, that's how deep these guys are. Hi, Mr. Elrod. Yeah. Because <laughs> then he's talking to him and he asks Mr. Elrod, who's actually Michael Myers, yeah. have you ever loved somebody so much, but they never, was it, they didn't feel the same way about you? <laughs> Almost like air traffic control guys. <laughs> yeah. Just like waving you to the point of this movie now. <laughs> Yep, and Michael obviously does nothing. The light turns off, and it turns back on when Oscar moves, and, and he's, he's closer. Gone. Oh, I thought he was gone. No, he's closer. First, he's time. closer. Yeah, right. And then it then it goes off again, and then he's like completely disappeared. That's what it was. And uh, finally, you know, when he realizes that this isn't what's going on, and that you know that that it's not the neighbor, yeah. it goes off one last time, and the turns back on that's when he gets like stabbed and that's when he screams and starts running towards the gate you know trying to climb the gate he's screaming out for allison to come back and uh before she can uh, he is killed by michael and his head is like it's pretty much on a pike yeah it's put on the it's put on the pike on top of the uh the gate so on the gate it's one of the but it's put in a way where it's like he was impaled through his lower jaw yeah so it's like the spike is coming out through his mouth He's already dead. And this is the part where, you know, we haven't talked about him at all this entire episode. But, you know, this movie brought back John Carpenter to do the score for it. And I was This is a little, where it hits. I was hesitant about this at first because I wasn't sure that John Carpenter was still able to make scores. Like, he hasn't done this in a very long time. 
uh, the score, he co-collaborates with his son, Cody Carpenter, mm -hmm. and another musician that they've worked with before, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the score throughout the movie, is it's pretty good. Like, it, it, mm -hmm. it sounds very modern, while at the same time, it does sound like classic John Carpenter. Mm -hmm. The most radical departure from anything, and probably now my new favorite Halloween theme of music. This is what this movie does that no other movie in the series did, and that's introduce a new, almost like instantly iconic, theme that mm -hmm. comes and that's the Allison theme where she's being you know hunted by Michael Myers and uh it's it's when she sees that his head is on the pike and and when Michael shows up this long like rumbling like you know bass guitar plays and and it's really awesome because I watched a YouTube video on this uh before when uh before the movie came out and the way that they got this like rumbling sound was that they ran a violin bow over an electric guitar, which mm. is really neat. And, and that was cool. It was a really cool song. And if you haven't heard it... Which they it, kind of also do, by the way, before, mm -hmm. sorry. To oh, no, go ahead. But which they kind of do for the new Wonder Woman theme, which I really like. Oh, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's that. And this song, like this, this uh, you know, score, uh, section of the score, it sounds so much like a movie that... Right now is a, uh, like, if Halloween was made today, it would look exactly like the movie It Follows. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, it just, it like, I have seen side-by-side -side comparisons of It Follows and Halloween. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the score here is exactly like something out of It Follows. And um, it's just perfect. It's a nice, it's super short. Because just like Laurie, she eventually gets in, uh, to the neighbor. Except, like, where in part one, Laurie is completely ignored. This time, she, you know, Allison is not ignored, no. and the neighbors open for her. Nope. And this is where, uh, you know, uh, Doctor Sartain and uh, Sheriff Officer Hawkins and Sheriff Officer Sheriff Officer Coach Hawkins <laughs> <laughs> just keep adding titles. The third. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they arrive to the house, and uh, this is where Sartain, uh, you know, he has already seen Lori after she shot Michael in the window, and this is his first time seeing Allison. Um, and they're driving together, and that's where they see Michael walking down the streets, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, at that moment, they hit him with the car, mm -hmm. uh, and Hawkins gets out of the car, and as Sartain gets out, this is where the absolute most telegraphed, part of why I really dislike this character even being here in the first place, mm -hmm. uh, you get the scene where Sartain reveals himself as an evil presence, yeah. so he's not exactly Loomis. He's actually evil, more like. So he's still Loomis, but you know, edgier. Yeah, he's like he's like the old he's like the old. Uh, he's less guy Loom in black from part six now, right? He's less Loomis <laughs> in part one and more Loomis in part four. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not Loomis at all. Like he's mm. really like. No, at this point, he's like a disciple of Michael. He like, is like the man in black in Halloween six yeah, now, where yeah. like it's like the, he encourages Michael to commit all of these acts, right? And he's and again he wants to know the motivation. He wants to know why. To him, Michael Myers is something that you can reason with, you can understand, and you want to know his motivation. So he actually enjoys seeing Michael work because he wants to understand why Michael works. And he even says that Michael is just a predator. And he says, I think later on in this same scene, how him and Lori had this predator-prey relationship 
where each one is afraid of becoming the prey of the other. Mm-hmm. And that's why he wants to know why Michael wants to kill her, is that he's afraid that Lori can kill him. And it's just very, like like you said, it was very telegraphed. And I, But I do like that part. They're exploring this need to understand Michael. And then he, he so he puts on Michael's mask for a second. And he pops up over the over that, the. That scene was stupid. It's stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> you know what it reminded also, me of? It's also a uh, a kind of callback to Rob Zombie's Halloween. I was about too. to say that's what it reminded me of when Where Lori like, comes out with the mask. No, no, no. Well, that too. But then there's also like an earlier scene in that movie where Michael like kills these yokels that are out, <laughs> that are out there, and like you know it's like it, they show him putting his mask on in headlights, and it's like that that is that is a it, it, it's a really neat scene in that movie. Yeah. The movie's terrible, but it was a nice, there's a neat scene in it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, but this, this is the one thing that I actually do like about this is that it gives us a scene in Halloween that I'd never seen before, and that is that you are locking now the, you know, the victim of Michael Myers with Michael Myers in the back seat mm-hmm. of the police car. So now there's, you know, now Hawkins is dead. Uh, Sartain is driving the car, um, and you know he's sitting there talking to Allison about Michael. While Michael is sitting, you know, in the seat with his mask next to him, um, I'm sure you've already noticed by now that Michael's eye, his left, his, mm-hmm. his, his left eye, I think, it's left, his left eye, yeah. It's so his, his left eye is damaged from you know when Laurie sticks the uh, the coat hanger in it in, yep. in the first movie. So um, that's definitely a call. <clears throat> it's the first movie to really make a direct callback to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Sartain again. It's like it shows that. God, does he understand Michael or does he not understand Michael, right? Because mm-hmm. much like much like that Halloween return script that we keep going back to, um, it's like everybody has an obsession with getting Michael to talk. Yep. Or they feel like Michael could talk. Um But, you know, it's 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 the he the way that uh Allison gets him is she says, Well, Michael talked to me. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like, that's where he's like, oh, he's like, well, what did he say? And, again, just to remind you that no other sequels exist in this universe, he said, did he say the sister's name? And then, it, like, wait a second, and then he says, Judith? Just mm-hmm. to, just to kind of remind you, okay, Lori's not his sister this time. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, like, you know, once Michael comes to, he completely kills him. Obviously, he never said anything. Yep. Uh, he'll never talk. Uh and next thing you know, like, they're on the side of the road now. And, uh, gruesome death for this guy. So, Michael Oof. kicking and pushing the gate over in, like, you know, that that little partition. That, yeah, that, that metal partition in a, in a squad car. Yeah. He ends up kicking that in, smacking Sir, uh, Sartation? Sartain. Sartain. I'm never... Satin. Saltines. <laughs> Sultan Saltines. <laughs> he ends up getting, like, pretty much crushed with that. Like, he starts getting hit with that. And then um, Michael ends up dragging him out to the out the side of the, out the on the side of the road, and then uh, he says, "Say something," and then Michael crushes his skull by stomping him. <laughs> like, and it's like it looks like an overripe watermelon. <laughs> like, it was gnarly. Like he gets it. When you talked about how Blumhouse likes doing old school uh, special effects, that is. That's that's the mm-hmm. first thing I think about is Michael stomping on his head, and that's what, and I think that's why it looked so good is because yeah. it must have been done practically. Right. It was it was really cool during it, this. It reminded me of like this. If you ever watched the 1980 movie Maniac, 
Um, it's like a horror movie. It's it's a really I high recommend a horror mm-hmm. movie. <clears throat> um, okay. Might check it stars out. Joe Spinell, who like uh, had a bit part in The Godfather, mm-hmm. where he plays like this really weird like serial killer in like this seventies New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Tom Savini uh, was the effects guy on that. And there's a scene in it where the killer goes in, and and I I probably shouldn't say anything, but there's a scene in it where there is a special effect that completely calls back to this. Ah, uh, gotcha. So for anybody who you know has not seen it yet, go seek out. The 1980 movie uh, Maniac, and don't watch the, and, and I'm talking about that movie, not the 2012 reboot that they did with Elijah Wood as Maniac. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so the that that one is a remake of that movie, but it, it had sucked. its own it had its own gimmick. <laughs> yeah, I know that it was Elijah Wood, like it was all first person, you know. And that's weird. I, and if we I, talk, horror movies and horror remakes are actually something I would like to kind of like once we. Get out of the horror zone that we've been in, like, and then would, we we can revisit. I would it. like to come back to it. Um, also, just because I know last year uh, Suspiria came out, the remake, yeah. and it's gotten so much positive buzz about how. Oh yeah, I still haven't checked that out. So uh, I'll check that out. But um, but you know, uh, after that, you, well, during that or before that, there's a uh, scene with the two police officers outside of Lloyd's compound mm-hmm. where they're you know, they're they, discussing the intricacies of bond me sandwiches. Yeah, which, which is that, like another comedy bit that like, I really wanted to bond me after that movie. <laughs> Every time I watch this scene, I want to bond me. Like I'd never even heard of bond me peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But yeah, like even that sounds like something I'd like to try now. Like I learned something. The fact that bond me refers to the bread and not the sandwich itself. It was. It was also very much like the kind of dialogue you would hear in a tarantino movie too. oh definitely like so. food is definitely a staple for tarantino movies but yeah michael kills those guys and one of them is he turns him into a human jack-o'-lantern even yeah um and again they, takes the time to right. do this and now we're we are essentially in the climax of the movie well also point. it you know allison ends up getting away while sartain is being murdered right so she runs through the forest and ends up finding her way to Lori's compound. But she has that really creepy scene where she runs through uh, Lori's shooting gallery. Mm-hmm. Because Lori has a bunch of uh, mannequins. mannequins set up for target practice. Which is, you know, Michael can look like a mannequin himself. Yeah. Like in, in, in the darkness, right? Oh, and oh, I should have brought it up earlier. But I wanted to go back to a scene involving the mannequins when she's shooting and she's like cleaning her guns and setting everything up. So before we equated Lori to Ellen Ripley fighting against an alien, there was a scene where she's like breaking down her gun and like cleaning it and she's wearing the black tank top where I got Sarah Connor vibes. Yeah. And it's like they went from... One Ellen. James Cameron. Yeah, from one another. James Cameron to another. Yeah. But also just the difference in characters because one was a mother that was like trying to protect her newfound child. And the other one is a mother protecting her child but no longer afraid. Just, you know, while one was protecting out of fear, one was like atta- like more, how do I say it? Like more prepared, more like ready for combat, you know? Well, it's funny too because Jamie Lee Curtis is also in a James Cameron movie where she plays the like alpha woman mm-hmm. after a while. That movie is. God, I can't remember the True name Lies. Of it. True Lies with Schwarzenegger. <laughs> right. Another Arnie movie. Right. So. Which I mentioned earlier, yes. Yeah, so. yeah, that's true though. 
Okay. So yeah, so we're we're in the climax. Um, earlier in the movie, you see this bunker that Lori is, has that's underground in her home. Um, <clears throat> Lori has this house is outfitted with everything, right? Like mm-hmm. there's there's our gates that lock every room. She has the Lori every... cave yeah. where she has her guns and booze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's 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 like it looks like Nick Nolte's Bat Cave. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! Uh, but you know, it's it's. Uh, there's also a dollhouse there that's a replica of the Michael Myers house from the first movie. That's too. right. Um, and that's where you you know they they go hide out in the Lori Cave, um, where that's where she sends Karen. Uh, Ray, of course, doesn't take any of this seriously, and mm-hmm. because of that, he's gonna end up paying for it. Uh, he goes outside to where he sees the police car uh, pulling into the compound, and he gets killed by Michael. Mm-hmm. And um, Lori's at the window looking for Michael. There's that great scene of Michael just pulling both his hands in where he just like breaks the window and he like tries to strangle her. Yeah, very Robocop. <laughs> and yeah. And then after she pulls her shotgun out and like blows some of his fingers off. Oh, that was gnarly looking. So. And then, you know, there's, uh, of course, um, they do the, the thing where Lori then becomes the hunter. Yeah. And Michael Myers is hiding, so there's a role reversal here. Which, I mean, we all should have seen coming at this point. And then when she goes upstairs, uh, or I'm sorry, she's going through her own house room by room. And she starts, you know, hitting these shutter doors to close. You know, she would go into these rooms, clears them out, make sure there's no one there. Then she closes the shutter door to avoid... Uh, Michael Myers hi- hiding in those rooms, yeah. so it's kind of like an area control thing. Yeah, like she, 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 she has knows. it all figured out, yeah. and this this shows you just decades of planning mm-hmm. on her part. Um, she has probably invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in outfitting this house. Yep, and she like she knows what she's doing. So she ends up going into this mannequin room. Fucking anyone that has a mannequin room, I swear to God, I won't trust them with my life, <laughs> except for Lori. <laughs> But she goes into this creepy-ass mannequin room, and she's trying to find Michael. And, you know, of course they bait. Like you said, he looks like a mannequin. There's a couple times she confuses him with a mannequin. And Michael ends up getting the drop on her. And they recreate that ending scene from Halloween 1, where... Lori gets thrown out the window over the balcony. And well, in the original, it's Michael that goes off well, the Well, yeah, in the original, it's it's Michael that goes over the balcony. But in this one, it's Lori that gets thrown yeah. over. And she's on the grass, and when Michael comes back to look for her, she's gone. Which which got a lot of oohs and applause oh, yeah. in my theater. Oh, yeah, I was the main person oohing and applauding in my theater. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that's when you know that Lori is going to be on her way back in. Uh that's when Allison comes in through the front door of Lori's house, calling out. Michael knows that she's there, and mm-hmm. he is going to go down to attack her. Um, Karen, who's now in the panic room, uh, opens it up, uh, pulls Allison into the panic room, and they just stand there. Uh, Michael somehow knows, you know, instinctively, just that there that there is a, you know, that there is. An but he knows where the Lori cave is. <laughs> He's been there. So he starts like just pulling. Pull, trying to pull apart, uh, you know, the island that's the kitchen island that's covering it, mm-hmm. um, 
And once he finally does that, you know, uh, Karen goes, grabs a gun, and... Well, I want to point out the importance that she just doesn't grab any gun. She, she grabs a gun that's got her initials on it. She grabs the gun that Lori trained her to use as a child. Yeah. So, come in full circle, now that everything Lori taught her to do, it's those skills that she needs to call upon again. And she can't do it, Right? She's crying. She's having a nervous breakdown. She says she can't do it. Yeah. And then right at that moment, you get Michael at the top of the staircase, which is just like, it's the way he pops in there. Like in Halloween 1, he pops it to the front of the staircase exactly like mm-hmm. that. So they do that. And right when she does that, she stops crying, looks at him and just says, gotcha, and shoots him. Which yeah. to me, I think it kind of reminds me of one of my favorite bits from Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. Which is like, you know, where, where Sam Jackson is like going to kill her. And like they're in the dark. And mm-hmm. like, you know, he's about to kill her. And, yeah. then right that, and then right that second you hear like the cock of a gun. And then he's like, I think you got a gun for stuff against my dick. <laughs> You're <Yeah, laughs> damn right. <laughs> You're goddamn right. <laughs> So it's like, yeah, she she gets super, she gotcha and shoots him. And right there, that's when Lori, a la part one, pops mm-hmm. in from the shadows, says, Happy Halloween, Michael. Starts stabbing him, and they throw him down those stairs. And all of a sudden, that's when Karen, like, hits the lever. And he tells she tells Allison that, you know, it wasn't a panic room. It was a trap for Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, then Lori hits some sort of switch, and... The house, like you know, the the house starts catching on fire. Like it's like this house is me- is is meant. To, it's a death trap. It yeah. was never meant to, to make be lived it. In. Yeah, <laughs> it was never meant to make it past Michael Myers' death. Right. So, so like, yeah, just like Angel said, it was meant to be. It, the whole entire house is weaponized. It's Michael proof. And again, going back to what Angel said, the years of planning and preparation to the point that even her daughter who hates her at this point it makes you even think is everything else she did was it just an act right like how far in I, obviously i don't actually think that i i think it the, it was just played up to be that she knew what she had to do when she had to do it right you know like it was about survival and you know you have that scene where it's like they 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 lock them up and they throw the flare in and the entire house starts burning yeah and, you and then s- you get that awesome awesome john carpenter score yes. that flares back up um which sounds like a cross like it's it literally sounds like a like if he just took the themes from halloween um Assault on Precinct 13 mm-hmm. and Escape from New York and threw them in a blender together. Like, that is... It's what you get, yeah. Right, and it's just like, it's so awesome. And it's, it's yeah, it's kind of out of place, but in a good way, because it's an action movie score. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get that cool shot of the, of the playhouse catching on fire. Like, everything's just catching on fire. You and look the, down at the stairs on Michael and everything around him is on fire. Yeah. Um, but then... You know, you cut back to him and he's not there anymore. You just see flames everywhere. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's never shown after that again. So, written in a way in case you want a sequel, right? Right. And then they also have the, at the end of the credits, where you hear the breathing Mm -hmm. going on, which is a reference to the end of part one. Yeah. And kind of a hint that he could still be out there, which he probably is because this movie got greenlit for a sequel mm-hmm. shortly after the original, shortly after it came out in October, mm-hmm. right? So this movie is going to get a sequel. 
Um, Lori, Lori, Jamie Lee Curtis has already said that she's game to come back again. Mm -hmm. John Carpenter said he's game to come back again. Um, we'll see where they decide to go from here. I don't know where, I don't know what else you would do or where you would take it. Cause it's like, I'm glad Jamie Lee Curtis is game, but it's like, do I want her back? Yeah. It feels like this is, you know, if you didn't have the perfect ending with H2O last time, this feels like a good ending as well. Like her, it feels like the Strode arc can be done. Yes. And it's like, you can, this family can finally, they, they, they've literally exercised their demons. They've killed their demons. They can finally move past this monster. And it's like, you want that closure. It's the perfect closure. So I'm, me personally, I'm totally okay. If moving they, on. Yeah, moving on, yeah. bringing it, moving him to a new town, putting him in space. I don't give a fuck. Well, I know Jason Blum at some point. I mean, not Jason Blum, but... Um, oh, you mean the voice Malik, actor? Malik Akkad. Oh, okay. Um, no, Jason Blum is the, he's the uh, head of Blumhouse Studios. Oh, I thought you were talking about the guy that voiced... That he, there's a voice actor named Jason Blum, too. I think. Oh, okay. Let me look it up. But... Yeah, I'm not sure, but... No, Jason Blum from Blumhouse, like, uh, it wasn't him. It was uh, Malik Akkad, who uh, is the son of Mustafa Akkad, um, mm -hmm. who is now, like, really the, you know, he is the guy who is the creator, you know. Mm -hmm. Mustafa was, he was the producer of every single Halloween movie, and that mantle's been passed on to Mal Malik now. Mm -hmm. um, and he said that he would do either a sequel or he would also be open to some sort of television series mm -hmm. kind of deal. Which, you know, in this era now of prestige TV, you probably mm -hmm. could do some sort of anthology a la what they originally wanted to do with Halloween yeah. 3. Yeah. Who knows where they go from this. I just know that I'm excited that there will be more Halloween franchise movies in my future. Mm -hmm. um, now that we've gone through it, I think the only question left to ask is, uh, do we like Halloween 2018? Yes, I love this movie. Um, but again, this movie, like any other movie I love, it's not without its faults. To me... One of the biggest, and this might be just me nitpicking, and I'm talking about nitpicking, because <laughs> as far as a Halloween movie, this might be one of, the, this is definitely top three, you know? I think it's the best since the original. You know, like, this is definitely top three, you know, definitely, it's the original, this one, then another one, you take your pick, which one you like. I mean, I listen to a lot of other movie podcasts, <clears throat> and just for a lot of them in general, like, it's mm -hmm. landed on a lot of top ten lists yeah. for people. And this is, like, it's a really good movie, and this is me being nitpicky as possible. <laughs> you know, the biggest thing that bothers me about it is, is, um... Like, why Lori would stay? And again, this is me being as nitpicky oh, why she would as stay possible. In why she would stay in Haddonfield of all places. <clears throat> I think know? it's pretty clear that she would probably stay there because she wants to kill him. And even then, if she wants to be the one to kill him, why did Karen come back to Haddonfield? That doesn't make any sense. You know, like, yeah. if she doesn't want to be with her... Si her if she doesn't want to be with her mom... And doesn't want any relationship. There's no point right. for her to be there. There's no point for Allison to have any sort of relationship with her. Right. So it seems very out of character for her to move back to Haddonfield. Because they make a point that... I think from this point, they could all leave Haddonfield. Oh yeah, now everyone can leave Haddonfield. Yeah. But it's weird that she came back. And right. that's why... 
it makes me think that they were playing the super long con. <laughs> but now you're delving into a possible story arc where Lori was a cr like an almost criminal mastermind that right. planned a revenge that took 40 years, you know? Right, like I don't think you have to think about it too much. I you know, like it's... again, this is me trying to be as nitpicky as possible because right. this is a damn near perfect Halloween movie. Right. It has the score you want. You know, it has some stellar performances, not just from, like, seasoned actors or actresses like Will Patton and Jamie Lee Curtis and Judy Greer, but it's also... And even like, though they're not given a lot to do, they come off really well. Yeah, and the the kids, like, all, <clears throat> even all the high school kids, they're all great. Everyone does good job, like, you know, really pushing this story along, it, along and making it good, you know? Um... Yeah, this is because at the end of the day, this movie isn't about Michael Myers. We already know Michael Myers' story. We don't need to hear it again. So it's about Lori. And it's about Lori and her kids. And it's about her being able to finally move past this and finally be able to kill this monster that's been the boogeyman that's been bothering her for 40 years. This yeah. boogeyman that has kept her from being able to live her life. You know, it's a, it's really fucking good. I love this movie. Um, yeah, I also, obviously, I, I don't just like this movie. I love this movie. Um, this movie is the best Halloween <clears throat> movie since the original. Uh, this is a awesome return to form for the series. Uh, return to a form that it's never been in before. Mm -hmm. Which is like, you know, like to me, like I said, like in, in the past, I have always looked at Halloween as its own thing. And the franchise has always been this less great thing yeah. that has followed it. So this is the one that finally brings it back to that high level. And, um, you know, they could ruin it again with another sequel because I've, they've done it before. Yep. They followed up H2O with Halloween Resurrection. <laughs> and they followed up Halloween, the Rob Zombie remake with that awful Rob Zombie second remake. Yep. So it, it, can go, it can go anywhere. Um, but I am glad that this movie came out. Uh, it's an awesome movie. Um, to watch, and I know I will revisit it. Uh, this is the timeline of Halloween that is my preferred one at this point, and um, a high recommend for me. This the Halloween sequel. This one feels more like more of a sequel to the original than Halloween Two. It's kind of like the best comparative I can think of is Jurassic World, mm -hmm. where it's like those other sequels could exist if we wanted them to. But it's the sequel to the original one, yep. and it feels the most like it, right? So this is that is exactly to me what this is, and uh, it's a good return. Or like the Star Wars uh, sequels now, right? Like yep. they they are forgetting about all the prequels, and they're going straight to uh, you know sequels to that original Lucas trilogy. Yep, so. or prequels directly to the original <laughs> Lucas trilogy. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, it's really great. Uh, we're glad that you were able to join us for this movie as well as the original Halloween. Um, we have not decided what our movie will be for our next episode yet, uh, but we will post it on the Instagram as soon as it's decided. Uh, we want to thank everyone who downloaded our first episode on the original Halloween, which was a lot more loose in structure. We want to thank everyone who's been downloading the Bird Box episode. Uh, that episode has been getting a lot of traffic. Um, and I also just want to encourage anyone who is listening to us, following us on whichever platform, be it Spotify, Google Play, uh, iTunes, Podbean, uh, continue to comment, continue to rate the show, um, and continue to spread the word on the podcast so that we can get more 
attention coming to it. So, again, this is an awesome start with horror movies, but we do want to start moving in a different direction and reviewing different kinds of movies. So I think next week's episode is going to be the first foray into that for us. So, um you have anything else left to say, or are we... Nah, I'm, I think I'm good. <laughs> All right. So, for, uh, so this is uh, Angel signing off. Later, turds. Bye.